I don't know whether you uh, keep a journal, a diary, or a record of what's going on. I do. <clears throat> and uh, when I was writing the last sort of entry a couple of days ago for the year that's just gone by, I looked at what I'd written on the 1st of January last year. And one of the things I'd written on the 1st of January last year is people are saying it could be as late as Easter until everything gets back to normal. Well, what did I know? It's a story that's dominated our lives, hasn't it? And it becomes wearying, you know. Um, you know, that sense of, are we going to be okay? And we're still in it. And it still dominates our lives. But there are other things that <clears throat> may well have dominated your life over this last 12 months. The unexpected illnesses. The unexpected joys. The things that you just weren't able to predict. Some of you may have lost jobs. Some of you have gained jobs, changed jobs. And it's been brilliant. Some of you moved house. Some of you got married. Some of you... Who knows what's been going on for you over the last year? As we come as worshippers into the beginning of a new year, I suppose one of the things that's been highlighted for us over the last couple of years is you can't really be sure of much. And there's certain things that you simply cannot control. So how do we keep our eyes on a bigger story when there are a lot of things that could easily distract us, that could easily take our eyes away from a big story. We're going to read together uh, from Luke. Uh, if you've got a Bible or if you've got it on your phone, it's not going to be on the, on the slides this morning, but if you've got a Bible that you can access, it's Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. I wonder if someone near the back door could just close the door for us. That would really help. Thanks. <clears throat> I know people are coming back. So here we go. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my own eyes have seen your salvation, for which 
you've prepared, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then had been a widow for 84 years. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. 20 years ago, I came across an experiment that had been done by a social psychologist. You may well have heard of it. It's called the Invisible Gorilla. Have any of you come across the Invisible Gorilla? One of you. That's just really reassuring to know that I've not made this up. I know I've not made it up because I went back to look at it. 20 years ago, the psychologists tried to do this experiment with students. It was a really simple experiment. He showed a film that was for about two minutes of three basketball players wearing a black vest and three basketball players wearing a white vest. And he asked them, the students, count how many passes are made. It went on for about two minutes. Some of you are now nodding your heads because now Helen's now thinking, oh, no, I have seen this. There were 15 passes made. And mostly everybody got the right number of passes. And then the psychologist said, how many of you saw the gorilla? And 50% of people said, I saw the gorilla. And 50% said, what are you talking about? And what happened was, Whilst they're passing the basketballs and moving in and out of one another, a bloke, I assume, I, I don't know why I say a bloke, it, in these days of, anyway, it, a male or a female dressed in a gorilla costume walk in between them and wave and move out. And only 50% of people see it. How can you miss the gorilla? Well, I heard about this 20 years ago, and I, and I was thinking about it because I, 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 for some reason it came back to mind, and I was thinking about it. So I went back on to watch it again. You can do this yourself. It's all there. And I, I felt smug because I was watching it and thinking, you'd have to be really stupid not to see the gorilla. It's as plain as the nose on your face. And after the two-minute clip I watched... The narrator said, how many of you saw the gorilla? And I'm feeling very smug. And then he said, and how many of you noticed that the curtain, the color of the curtains changed and that one of the three basketball players dressed in black left? 
I didn't see it. How can you not see it? So I watched it again just to make sure they weren't fooling me. And sure enough, now I can see the curtains change colour. Now I can see there are only five basketball players and not six. If the rest of this sermon is dull, go on your phones. Look up the invisible gorilla, but turn the sound off. It is remarkable. How can you miss it? Well, you miss it. You miss the gorilla. Because the last thing you expect to see among six basketball players is someone dressed up in a gorilla costume. And you miss the curtains change color. And you miss the fact that one moves because you're watching out for the gorilla. In other words, where your attention is blinds you to everything else. The thing that you're looking for can stop you seeing what's actually happening right in front of you. Everything that you expect can be there, but essentially your expectations are too small. In the midst of everything that's happened and that is happening, it's easy to miss the really significant things. As worshippers, we come together, don't we? Because we believe that the world is more enchanted than people would have us believe. We believe that the world is filled with the glory of God. We believe in God. We believe that God's unexpected story is playing out in our lives. And yet... It's easy to miss it. So as we go into this new year, how, how will we keep our eyes open? How will we see more? I want to say three simple things, but let me first tell you about this man called Simeon. I'll come back to him in a minute. But he, one day in Jerusalem, in the temple, saw amongst all the crowds going to Jerusalem in the temple would be a bit like going to I don't know Westminster Abbey you know one of the big national monuments and the big crowds of people and he was there and he saw a young couple with an eight-day baby and he went up to them and said your baby your baby is the messiah Your baby is the means of salvation to the whole world. Your baby is the light to the Gentiles. Your baby is the glory of and the one that will bring glory to Israel. Now, every eight-day-old baby is cute, but they all look the same. Do they not? Winston Churchill or a bulldog. They all look the same. I mean, we look at them, and if, they're, if you're part of the family, you go, oh, he's got his mother's ears. But actually, we're just imposing upon this little eight-day-old baby all our impressions. They all look the same. It's a wonder that we ever end up with our own when we leave the hospital. And some of you might have gone through days wondering whether you did. But they all look the same. So what was it that this older guy, Simeon, saw that other people missed? And how do you see the bigger story? How do you see what others miss? 
How do we keep our eyes on God's story? Well, it starts here. You do the right things. Mary and Joseph, on day eight, went to the temple to have Jesus circumcised. They consecrate Jesus to God. They say to God, he's yours. It's a bit like we do in dedication of babies here. He's yours, Lord. And they offer a sacrifice. And the sacrifice they offered was the sacrifice that poor people would offer. They just did the right thing. I wonder if <laughs> this thought went through my mind. And I don't know if this is reverent. But I wonder if any of you might have thought, doesn't apply to us now. We've had angels. We've had shepherds. We've had people come and tell us that the saviour of the world is here. We don't need to do this business that everybody else has to do. But eight days after a remarkable birth, they carry Jesus and they do the right thing. And the first thing I want to say is, if we want to see God's big story, what we have to do is carry on doing the right things. There's no shortcuts. There's no escape clauses. There's no, it doesn't apply to you. There's just, let's do it. Let's do the right thing. When Luke, who wrote that story, writes the story of the early church, he starts the story of the early church with this. What's the right thing? Doing the right thing? The early Christians in chapter 2 were devoted to four things. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. If you want to see, if I want to see God's story, if I want to see God at work, if I don't want to miss it, if I don't want my attention to be sort of sidetracked by everything else, I've just got to do the right thing. What's the right thing? Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. in our parlance read the bible immerse yourself in that story commit yourself to fellowship with other people listen to their stories get to know them hear what god's doing on in their in their lives commit yourself to communion breaking bread remind yourself that it's all about the broken body and the resurrected body of Jesus and pray. Now you can do a couple of these things alone. You can read the Bible and you can pray alone, but two of them you can't do on your own. And in fact, all four of them are better if we do it together. In a sense, and this is hard news for some of us, there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. You can't do it on your own. Now, the truth is sometimes other people are a bit awkward. Sometimes other people are a bit tedious. Sometimes it's a bit more difficult to plan in times with people. But actually, the right thing is, we'll do it together. You know when we did that thing at the beginning of the service, earlier in the service, where we said, turn around and see who's around you. It's not just to sort of fill a dead moment. It's actually a reminder to you and I that we're in this together. That that person who's sitting behind you or in front of you, they are part of your spiritual development. 
that you will grow and you will become more alert to God as you choose intentionally to become more alert to them. You need one another. There's no shortcuts. There's no, don't apply to me. There's no, I don't think I need that. So let me encourage you. So when you choose to say, Sunday morning, we go to church. It's like your basic spiritual discipline. Because you come into a place where you get to have, you have to sing songs that are not chosen for, you know, you, you've not chosen. It's not on your Spotify playlist. And someone's normally Ian, let's name him, he has chosen songs and sometimes you're going, I don't like this song. I don't know this song. And you make up your own tune and all the rest of it. And then you get someone like me coming and talking to you for 20 minutes or so and you go, oh goodness, that's not relevant to me. I today need to hear about this. And then you, today we'll take communion together and you'll be offered bread and a little cup and it'll be given to you it's not even like you've prepared it yourself John and Anne did in full COVID hazmat sort of like hazard suits in the kitchen everything is given and when you and I come we say I'm not in charge here I'm just receiving it's a primary spiritual discipline And when you meet in a small group during a week, a primary spiritual discipline is, I need you. And you need me. It's just doing the right thing. First thing, do the right thing. Second thing, be open to the Spirit. This guy, Simeon, older guy, had an everyday expectation that the Spirit that had given him, every day he believed God hadn't finished with Israel. Every day the Spirit was upon him and it gave him that sense of there's more. He was aware of the Spirit's timetable. In verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. He knew that his life timetable was in line with what God was wanting to do. And he said, the Spirit has told me that. And he was led by the Spirit. He was in Jerusalem, just lived in Jerusalem. But at the right time, exactly the right moment, he went to the temple and met Mary and Joseph with eight-day-old Jesus and said, that's the one. And then Simeon says, Lord, I can die. I'm ready to go. Because this is everything that things have been leading towards. Look at him. He's a man. Let me just read it to you. The Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he wouldn't die. He was moved by the Spirit and he went into the temple courts. He was open to the Spirit. What does it mean to be open to the Spirit? It means a trusted loss of control. 
And some of us find that difficult. Simeon hadn't lost hope that God was going to do act in ways that would bring transformation. Simeon hadn't lost hope that I'm going to see it. And Simeon was willing to respond to the nudges of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but this year I want to be more open to the Holy Spirit than ever before. I want to have the hope that he gives me. I want to know what he's got for my personal life. Simeon said, my timetable is linked to what God is doing. I want my life to be linked to what God is doing. And and I don't know if this needs to be said, but let me say it anyway. And that's got nothing to do with uh, that's got nothing to do with being a pastor of a church. I mean, it's got something to do with it, but it's not because I'm the pastor of the church. It's true for you, and it's true for me. I want my life to be linked to what the Spirit is doing, and I want to be attentive to the nudges. Now, in my context, part of my work is to connect with people sometimes who might be in trouble. And it is always such a joy to me when I get a little sort of sense of, Neil, do it. Now, I've got, I, I work on lists. I've got lists of things to do every week. And if I'm honest, some things on that list, they go to the bottom of one week's list and then to the top of next week's list, and so it goes on. You might be the same. But there's sometimes where I just sense God nudging me and saying, Ring them. Go see them. And when I do, and it just works out, oh, you've come exactly the right time. I can't tell you how much joy that brings me. (laughs) Not because I can do anything remarkable when I get there, but just the sense of, I was aware that God was nudging me, and I decided to take a punt on it. Simeon, not a priest, not a prophet, just an old guy in Jerusalem who knew the Spirit was upon him. Come Holy Spirit, yeah. And I want to say something to some of you who feel older. Because some of you who feel older wonder whether that's it. Whether you've seen it all, done it all. And I want to say, may 2022 be a new year of refreshing for you. And talking of old people, we've got Anna. Now, this is an old lady who just seems to spend her life at the temple. She's like part of the furniture. We don't quite know how old she is because the Greek isn't quite as clear as we would say we what we know about her is this she was married for seven years and then she was either widowed for 84 years or was 84 years old either way i've got to be careful now (laughs) either way she was older (laughs) whether she's old depends on how you feel at 84 eh But it's really interesting the way Luke introduces her. He says, she's a prophet or a prophetess. This is an older woman who has heard from God on a regular basis. 
She's a worshipper. She worships in the temple all the time. She fasts because she's desperate for God. And she prays. And Luke is keen to tell us that she is the first evangelist. Because she goes, sees Jesus, says, yep, he's the one. And then she tells everybody she can. And Luke wants you to know that the first person who told everybody about a baby is a woman. Because the first person who tells everybody about a resurrected Jesus is a woman. And Luke neatly tells you both those things. What's Anna doing? She's playing her part. She's playing her part. You're doing the right thing, open to the Spirit, but then you're ready to play your part. And I want to make a plea that you play your part. There's not one of you that is following Jesus who is not gifted by the Spirit. There's not one of you that God goes, you're kind of like just a receiver. All of you, however fragile you might feel, have a part to play and we need you because without you, we are weaker. We need those of you who go, I pray constantly for you. We need those of you that go, you don't need to know this, but I fast. Regularly for the work of God in Salford. We need you who are prophets, who hear from God. We need you who are unashamedly able to tell everybody about Jesus. It's dangerous to do this next bit, but let me do it anyway. When I think of Anna, do you know who she reminds me of? Pat Sloan. Now, Pat may well be watching this today. She's not really very well at the moment. Pat's part of the church furniture. In healthy days, Pat is always there when the doors open. Pat is a woman who is unashamedly willing to tell everybody about Jesus, no matter who. She has told me so many stories of the way she talks to people on buses, whether they like it or not. She's a woman who for decades has said, I'm praying for this church. Sometimes you need to get the facial features of people like Anna. Because with respect to Pat, it's easy to overlook people like Pat. And Luke says, don't you dare. So you that feel older, play your part with us. You that are younger, do the right things. You that are just out and about in the city, be open to the spirit. Do what God is leading you to. Because what if... God is going to do more than we can ever imagine this year. I've got a belief, and I'm going to keep on saying this to us. God is speaking all the time to us. It's just sometimes we're counting how many passes people are making to one another, and we miss the obvious.
Lord, may we be alert. What if this year people come to faith through us in surprising numbers? What if our, expect- our experiences so far of church have been so limited? What if this year there's an outburst of what God is doing amongst us? And what if it happens because people like you and me are just open to the Spirit and willing to go with it? What if we see remarkable number of people saying, I need to know Jesus? I don't know whether you're here this morning, but before the service began about 10 to 11, I had a call from someone I didn't know, didn't recognize the number, it wasn't on my contacts. Someone on the phone just saying, what time does your service begin? Because I need to come. I just need to come to pray today. Now, I don't know if you're here, but what if that was normal? What if this year we just see tens and tens and tens of people just saying, I need to be with you? What if God's going to do that? What if our faith will be strengthened this year because the Spirit is going to move through us and he's going to renew us and revive us and your faith is going to be strengthened and everything that you've lived with so far, just watching the basketball players, just watching the basketball players, suddenly something new happens and you see things that you've never seen before. Hmm? (laughs) We're not sure that we can say anything at this point. What if... We have new expressions of church amongst people that we would least expect to. What if our church community becomes a healing place for broken people? People who are broken through illness, through people who are broken because of their own actions, people who are broken because of the actions of other people. an eight-day baby. And Simeon says, I can see everything that's going to happen. And everybody else went, it's just a young couple, poor couple, eight-day baby, to a penny. No, 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 no. There's something going on here that's bigger than that. This year, may we have our eyes opened It's all that's so much bigger than we might expect. Are you in for this? Yeah? Why don't we pray together? You know yourself. I'm going to ask the band to come back as well if you would. You know yourself. You know where you're most likely to get distracted You know where you're least able to be aware of what God is doing in this world that is enchanted by his spirit. And so we come and we pray together. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes to see you. Lord, open our ears that we can hear you. Lord, may we know your presence with us. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. If you can, I'd like to ask you to stand. 
And if it's helpful to you, then just lift your hands out as though you're going, yes, Lord, come rest on us again. Come and renew us. Come and revive us. Lord, help us to not just see the obvious, but let us see what you're doing amongst us. Come, Holy Spirit, rest upon each of us, we pray. Those of us who feel like we've been here before and it's, we're tired and weary, Lord, would you come and would you renew us by your Spirit, we pray. For those of us who are new to this, Lord, may we be open to your Spirit in new ways. May we hear you speak to us. May we be aware of you. Lord, for all of us, may we do the right thing. May we commit to one another in a sense of growing together in order that we might be the people after your own heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Work amongst us. Do more than we can imagine, we pray. In the name of Jesus.